Got a question for you guys. Do you know any smart people? <laughs> Thanks. Do you know any smart people? Do you have any smart people in your lives? You, you, that nudging you feel is your spouse right now, making sure you answer yes to that question. Do you have any smart people in your life? I think everybody in here has somebody that you would consider smart, that, that's a smart person in your life. But I'll, I want to take it kind of a step further. Do you have anybody in your life that's like way smart? I mean, when they start talking, you you kind of start checking out. You know what I mean? Like they start talking, you go and ask them a question and like 12 seconds later, you're instantly, you don't even know what your last name is. I mean, they're just way over your head. Do y'all have people in your life like that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like when you get to talking and they start responding or replying or they get to talking and you're standing there, you hear them, but you don't hear them. Y'all know what I mean by that? I, I work with people like this every day. We have an incredibly sharp staff. And all of the people in our office are incredibly sharp. I mean, they're super, super smart. And I'm walking down the hall just making sure I don't like burn myself on something. You know what I mean? Like, do y'all have those people in your life? Okay, good. Because if not, I can introduce you to a few of them. I mean, just making sure you're with me this morning. When you, when you get to this place, you, you, you start meeting or you have these people in your life. How do you communicate with these people? You know what I mean? Like, how do you understand what they're talking about, where they're coming from? How do you communicate with these people? When you come in these situations, when you have these people in your life and they talk over your head or they're really smart, you have one of two options. Y'all know this, right? You can either A, whenever they start talking, you just kind of mentally check out. You know, you're just kind of like, Ugh. it's like John Piper sermons, you know, it's just like, uh, good for you, John. Like, I, you just, you just kind of check out. You don't really know what's going on. Or B... When these people get to talking, you actually kind of press in a little bit. You know, you ask questions. You ask them to repeat themselves multiple times if you're me. You, you, you dive deeper to kind of see what they're talking about. When you're with people that are talking over your head, you can either kind of check out and give up or you can dive deeper. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, a lot of times people come across scripture and that's their perspective of it. So have you ever come across a passage in scripture that you read or you think about and you're like, man, what in the world is going on here? This is way over my head. This is way above my pay grade. I don't know what's talking about. And I'm not talking about revelation because everybody kind of gives revelation that reputation. That can be a little revelation's reputation. And we're going to have this sermon on that one day. Everybody kind of gives revelation that reputation. Like, man, that's just way over my head. Well, if you think that you no longer have an excuse because on Wednesday nights at 630, you can be here for Jay Keen's uh, walk through Revelation life class. So if you think, man, Revelation's just way over my head, two things. A, come Wednesday nights at 630 and let Jay walk you through it. And B, understanding it's part of God's word. God's word did not give us his word to be way over our heads and to confuse us. He gave us his word to know him more. So it's meant for you to understand. So we can either give up. Or we can press into it. But a lot of times we look at scripture and think it's just like that. Man, this is just way over my head. I don't know what's going on. We've been walking through a study of God's word. In the past several weeks, we've looked at what is God's word. We looked at the authority of God's word. Last week, we talked about the inerrancy of God's word. And this morning, if you're sitting there thinking about God's word, that sometimes, man, it just seems way over my head. Then this morning, we're going to be talking about the clarity of God's word, the clarity of God's word. 
Just like usual, clarity means the quality of being coherent and intelligible. Clarity means the, the quality of being coherent and intelligible. It means the ability to understand what it's saying. The ability to make sense. Y'all know what I'm saying? See, some of you feel like I'm already over your head. You might be getting comfortable and trying to fall asleep or something like that. So I encourage you to stick with me for a little while longer as we dive into the clarity of God's word. You know, I have two school-age children. And two school-age children quite often delivers to our house homework. I know what you're talking about. Homework is crazy. Now, here's what's great. I am married to an amazing woman. My wife is awesome on multiple levels, but one of the areas that she's fantastic on is homework duty. Matter of fact, most of the time, by the time I get home from work, she, uh, the kids are already done with homework and they're breaking stuff. You know what I mean? So uh, she's awesome at handling homework. Well, a few years ago, um, my daughter, when she was second, third grade, something like that, she brought home math. Now, let me tell you about math in our class or in our home, in case you're not familiar with it from other things that I've subtly hinted at. In our home, math and I, we're not really friends, but we have an understanding. Does that make sense? My wife and math are mortal enemies. Do y'all see the difference? Math and I, we have an understanding. My wife and math, no, they're not even on speaking terms. I mean, it's just radically different. My daughter had brought home some math homework, and uh, when I got home, my wife was like, can you help her with her math homework? I'm just trying to explain it. She's not getting it. To which I'm like, sure, I'll sit down. I'll give it a try. So I sat down with her, and I started kind of unpacking what she was dealing with. And lo and behold, by the time I got done talking, my daughter could understand math in that new way. Now, this is not me tooting my own horn. This is not me bragging on myself. This is me revealing to you that my math logic is about the same page as a second or third grader. All right? So I'm just, I'm not bragging here. I'm just letting you know sometimes it takes a different perspective. More times than not, the shoe's on the other foot in the sense that I'm trying to explain something to my children, whether it's schoolwork or discipline or how we do it in our family or whatever. And I'm just not getting through. And my wife steps in. And she's like, honey, let me try this. And like in four words, my kids are like, oh yeah, totally get it. You know, I struggle in this area. My wife's like doing homework and preparing dinner and folding clothes and mowing the grass and slopping the hogs. I mean, she's doing all this stuff, you know, and, I, and I'm just like trying my best, you know, when, when it comes to school subjects. My, kids, my children bring home school all the time. My wife is amazing at all of it. I'm good at like one or two subjects. That can help really well. Um, but then I found out that lunch and recess aren't exactly subjects, but I still try to help about where I can. But all throughout history, people have had the same approach of Scripture when they open Scripture, and it's like, this doesn't make sense to me. And how do we have clarity? How do we find clarity? Matter of fact, in Scripture, Peter himself addresses this idea that sometimes Scripture can be difficult. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter writes this, he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Did y'all hear that? I know a lot of y'all are flipping pages and that's okay. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, so I don't want to... (laughs) 
Sometimes I don't, don't understand me either. But, but just look at this passage. It's on the screen right now. Check that out. Second sentence. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, Paul's kind of, I mean, Peter's kind of addressing this idea. He's actually referencing Paul's letters and some of Paul's writings. He's like, guys, look, I know what Paul writes and some of the things that he writes. Some of it can be hard to understand. He's acknowledging that sometimes you might read something that's over your head in God's word. And again, remember earlier, when we come up against something that's hard to understand, we have one of two options. We can just call it a day, call it quits and walk away and not learn anything, or we can press into it. We can dive deeper. And that's what Peter's pointing to here in this text. He referenced the fact that sometimes there are things in Paul's writings, or what we would call scripture, that are hard to understand. Notice the wording. He said there are some things that are hard to understand, not impossible to understand. It's a big difference there. And that also is the difference in our approach to it. It's hard to understand. But look how he unpacks it. He starts talking about these people who don't pursue the clarity that God gives us in it. He said people who don't pursue clarity, he refers to them as ignorant and unstable people. And because they don't pursue clarity, they don't have the clarity of God's word. They distort the content of scripture. Now, this is a very common mispractice or common practice in our world today where people are taking the Bible out of context. They're distorting its meaning to wrap and fit around their lives. You've probably seen multiple examples of this. There have actually been people who have taught uh, things in Scripture that aren't actually what God's Word means. Uh, So people take this idea, and that's what Peter's talking about, these ignorant and unstable people. Uh, It's a big deal, church, when we neglect the clarity of God's word that he's given us. So this is why I want you to be in Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark 8. We're going to be there uh, for, for the majority of our time this morning. So just hang out in Mark 8. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. But I want you to see this passage in Mark 8 when we're talking about clarity of scripture. And what's taking place is in Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus feeding the 4,000. Now, two chapters earlier in Mark 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. But you got to think about it. If, the, if he can do it once, he can do it again. So he's, he fed 4,000 people here, mostly with bread, but he did find some small fish. So he multiplied that again and fed 4,000 people. At the end of this wonderful time, they all got in the boat. And they they kind of headed out together. And this is where we pick up the story in, in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. It says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The disciples discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. 
And he said to them, do you still not understand? This is a great passage of scripture that it shows that the disciples, the men that walked with Jesus themselves, they struggled with clarity. They struggled with understanding what was taking place in front of them. They're together with Jesus and Jesus says, hey guys, by the way, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He makes one statement and they just frantically go into this like, oh, we're having a come apart. What do we do? What does he mean by that? Does it, was he, what you think he's talking about the bread? We only got one loaf. Why didn't you bring the bread? We forgot to bring the bread. He asked them a series of questions. I want to kind of unpack some of these questions in this text as we walk through it to see how we can recognize and pursue clarity when it comes to studying God's word. The first two questions Jesus asked them was this. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? See, these two questions, they go hand in hand with what Jesus is trying to draw out. They go hand in hand with what Jesus is trying to tell them initially with his statement, but what he really wants them to see. And we see their response. When they responded, they kind of let Jesus know, hey, they're not on the same page with what Jesus was trying to say. Now, we're going to see a little bit later how Jesus took that and kind of addressed their immediate need. But I want you to see what their, their thoughts immediately went. That when Jesus made this statement about warning them about the Pharisees and that of Herod, they instantly, they started discussing, what's he mean by that? How do we understand that? What does that look like? And look at what they did. What, where did they go? They instantly focused on what they were in charge of. They instantly became concerned with what they were concerned about. Church, how many times do we do that? How many times do we study God's word or we spend time in a fellowship of believers and when we walk away from God's word, we just kind of take away from it what, what we want it to say? How many times do we, when we open God's word and read it, that, that we get caught up in what we're responsible for, what we're in control of? Here's the first thing that we need to know about studying God's words with clarity. Number one, we need to seek God's word for what God is saying, not for what we want it to say. We need to seek God's word for clarity purposes. We need to seek God's word for what God is saying, not for what we want him to say. The disciples, when Jesus was trying to point them to a bigger picture, they were getting caught up on what they were responsible for. They were getting caught up on their sole uh, responsibility in the issue of bread. Now we're going to see a little bit later that these disciples, man, they really struggled with loaves of bread, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. But he was actually pointing them to a bigger picture. If you look in that Mark chapter 8, back up. We started in verse 14. I want you to go back to verses 11 through 13 and look what takes place. Like I said, Jesus had just fed 4,000 people. And at the end of it, he gets done. They collect seven basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And after that, they, they got, he told the disciples to get in a boat. He sent them away. And this is what happens in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Let's pause button just for a minute. I know it's September, it's not December. But I want you to kind of put your minds in the realm of December and kind of what we talk about in God's word in December. What was, wasn't there something, David, you're going to have to correct me. Wasn't there something in the sky signifying the coming Messiah? Am I, am I remembering wrong? Can anybody here help me? Huh? Say it real loud. 
A star? Now, where do stars usually, where are they found? In the sky? The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To, To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Jesus had just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and some pieces of fish. And the Pharisees, because their hearts were in a different place, decided, hey, this is a great time to test Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why don't you give us a sign from the heavens? I mean, can you please, 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 somebody, do you follow me on this? It says Jesus sighed. Like how many times in scripture do we see where Jesus begins speaking, but we don't really get a, did he raise his voice? He said laughingly, he was talking. We get the whole scene of Jesus sighed as he said to them, how many times are they going to ask for a sign? But he said it that way and he sighed that way because he's like, did you not just see 4,000 people get fed with seven loaves and you still are looking for a sign? But why was he frustrated with them? It was that phrase to test him because the Pharisees weren't really on board with who Jesus was or what he was doing because they didn't believe what they had just seen. They're looking for more. So Jesus When he gets in with his disciples, he said, hey guys, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's trying to give them a heads up like, guys, on down the road, don't fall into the giant pitfall of getting caught up in missing out on what I have done. Don't get caught up on on all the fluff that you miss the point of who I am and what I was doing. Don't get caught up in being just like the Pharisees are who are looking for self-gratification and self-justification based on their attitudes and hardened hearts. Don't get caught up in that. And the disciples think, it must be because we only have one loaf of bread. Is that what he means? They get so caught up in it because they're focused on what they believe. They're caught up on the material things, not the spiritual things. And that's why Jesus starts asking this question. That's why he asks, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? Do you still not understand? I'm pointing you to the spiritual things of this world that matter, not the material things of this world. I'm trying to give you a heads up that you open your eyes to who I am and what I'm doing so that you don't fall into the category of Pharisee to where you miss it altogether. He's trying to open their eyes to something spiritual, not material. Look at the next two questions he asked. He says, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears and you fail to hear? Now see, here's the bad thing. This isn't the first time the disciples were confronted with this name tag of hardened hearts. In the Old Testament, you see it all throughout Scripture, but in the Old Testament you see this idea of a hardened heart used repeatedly throughout Scripture, namely Exodus 8, 9, and 10 when Moses was meeting with Pharaoh. Of course, it's not really seen in a positive light in the New Testament either, but we see all throughout this idea. And when he's talking about, when he asks him the question, do you have hardened hearts or your hearts hardened? And you understand, he's not talking about their physical heart inside their chest. This is one of those times where we need to get off the material and think about the spiritual. When he's talking about their heart, he's talking about their spiritual condition, their response to God. 
which is the most important aspect of our ability to have clarity in studying God's word and clarity found in God's word. It's, it's a heart issue. So if you go back to Exodus, you look at the life of Pharaoh, where Moses, God's messenger, went to Pharaoh and said, hey man, um, you really need to think about letting God's people go. You need to let, think about letting the Hebrew children go, let the Israelites, they need to, God is trying to set them free because he has a greater purpose for them. You need to let them go. And it says over and over in scripture that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And even before the plagues happened, God was using Moses and doing amazing things. Remember when he turned the staff into a serpent? Remember he was doing all this stuff and, and like Pharaoh literally thought it was just silly tricks and nonsense. He thought it was a magic show. And he didn't believe in the God of whom Moses was declaring. He didn't believe God was who he says he was. And even during the plagues, the, the plagues would happen and, and Pharaoh occasionally would be like, all right, you know what, take rid of them, get rid of them, get, take all the Hebrew children out, I don't care, just get them out. And then he changed his mind, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. I'm not granting you your freedom. And he changed his mind and he brought him back in. Even then, he didn't believe God was who he says he was or that God was powerful enough to do the things that Pharaoh was seeing. He had a hardened heart. You know, two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 6, we see this written in verses 51 and 52. The word says the disciples had hardened hearts. It says this, it says, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. I told you, these guys struggle with bread. And then right after that, in verse 52, it says their hearts were hardened. See, in chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000 people. And these were the disciples that were like, hey, Jesus, you want us to send these people home? He's like, nah, we're going to feed them. And they were like, there's no way we have enough food. He said, well, find something. And he said, well, here's a, here's a boy. He has lunch. He's got five loaves and two fish. That's all we got. There's no way we can feed everybody with this. And Jesus said, <laughs> there's no way you can feed everybody with this. So he took it and he fed the masses. And guess who were the ones distributing the food? The disciples, right? Uh, who were the ones distributing the food? Right, the disciples. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, the disciples were the one handed. They were the ones that brought this little lunch bag, and they're the ones that see Jesus reaching in and keep handing out more food. They're distributing it. Do you think these disciples got an idea that wow? This is pretty amazing what's taking place here. Do you think they were amazed? Do you think they were blown away? It says afterwards that they collected, there were 12 basketfuls. They got in the boat and they started out. There was a little storm that blew up. The, the disciples were struggling paddling. And Jesus kind of went walking out on the water. And when they saw Jesus, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. Um, and we think like, man, those petty disciples. Okay, what would you do? You look out on the water one day when you're struggling and you see somebody walking around on it. Let's don't be quick to judge them. Let's all I'm throwing it out there. So they've cried out. They freaked out. They didn't believe it was Jesus. And then he gets in the boat with them and they're like, whoa, you, that's, whoa, that's unbelievable. So my friend David sitting right down here is one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. He's a great dude. He has a lot, a lot, a lot of different talents. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that gets uh, to see how God uses those talents for his glory. One of my favorite things about David is when we get to kind of cutting up and hanging around, David has a, an immense knowledge of a lot of, lot of different things. 
And one of the things he's very knowledgeable about is songs. And, uh, and it's fun because we'll be sitting there talking or having a conversation and then he can find like a song that matches something we just said. Like literally. This week I was, I was walking by and we were talking about something and, uh, and it was like, man, wouldn't that be cool if we did this? I said, man, I could only imagine if we could do that. That would be incredible. And David goes, Justin, I could only imagine what it will be like. I don't even know the words to the song, but he like kept going. And I'm like, I'm just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, I can only imagine. I get it. I mean, he does this all the time. He sees Annie. He asks Annie the same question. You know what? What's he ask you, Annie? David sees Annie and he says, what? Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? It's just, it's just funny. It's entertaining to me. Now, the first time he did, it took about three or four rounds before I'm like, oh, he's quoting a song right now. I get it. It's just kind of been fun. But now when we do it, it's like, I try to keep up. I fail. But, uh, it's just, it's just this fun thing. And it always is a trip. It always like makes me laugh. We get a good laugh out of it when he switches to a song. But it doesn't surprise me anymore that he does it. Why? Because it's David and I've seen him do it before and it's a trip. Now blow that concept up on like a giant cosmic scale. And that's what we're kind of dealing with when it comes to Jesus in this context. Jesus walks up on the boat, gets in the boat with them. It says they were completely amazed. And Jesus said, like, guys, are your hearts that hardened? Do you just not believe or trust me and who I am? You just saw me a few hours ago feed 5,000 men alone with a sack lunch. And it's freaking you out that I'm still doing things it's because their mind just couldn't settle down and understand who God was in the form of Jesus they had already moved past it they had forgotten the awe they had moved past the glory of God and they were just kind of caught up in what's going to happen next matter of fact it's even more amazing that when they looked out and saw Jesus walking on the water they thought it was a ghost they didn't even connect the dots like maybe maybe that's Jesus coming out here to help us out. No, they were already forgotten who Jesus was. And he says, Are your hearts hardened? They witnessed Jesus do this amazing thing. And their hearts were hardened because they had totally forgotten about it already. When are we? going to remember the amazing things that God has done in our lives? When are we going to remember the amazing things that God has done in his word and recognize this is the God in whom we claim to trust and love and serve? When are we going to be filled with awe? I mean, just last week we talked about the Old Testament passage where a donkey spoke I had conversations with several of you that said, dude, I had never heard that in scripture. There should be an awe when we study God's word. We shouldn't be shocked. There should be an awe of like, God, you've done so much. And you did that too. I was having a conversation with some friends of mine this week. They said, you know, why do we get so blown away when God answers a prayer request? You ever thought about that? We see something miraculous that only can be happened because it's got the fingerprints of God all over it. And we're like, oh, wow, did you see that? We should always be in awe and excited about it. It should never take us by surprise because we should know who our God is. 
We should know his power. We should be able to trust him. We should believe that he is the God who he says he is. And when he does the things of what he does, we should say, man, that is so amazing that he continues to do that. But his disciples, their hearts were hardened because they had moved past the glory of God and were focused on themselves and what was happening next. When we fail to remember what God has done in his word, when we fail to remember what God has done in our lives, we lose all sense of ability to find clarity in God's word. Because we suddenly forget or stop trusting in the God of the Bible. Jesus was asking in this passage in Mark chapter 8, going back to Mark 8, he was asking them about seeing with their eyes, hearing with their ears. He said, did you not see with your own eyes? Did you not hear with your own ears? And he's asking them, dude, did you see what just took place or were you just watching? Did you, were you listening when I told you these things or did you just hear me? Now, if you're a parent in the room, you know there's a huge Grand Canyon style gap between when your children hear you and when they're listening to you. Is this true or false? Yes. Because we can hear things all the live long day. But when we're listening, things happen. He asks them this question. He's asking them, are, are, you, are you seeing with your eyes? Are you hearing with your ears? Are you taking it all in, disciples? Are you paying attention? When we study God's word, are we paying attention? Are we seeing it to take it all in? Are we listening to the voice of God when we read God's word? Or are we just reading off another chapter in the Bible because I know how to get my Bible reading done for the day? We just, we hear it and we look at it, but we don't see it and we're not listening to it. Look, when we study God's word, when you want to hear from God and his word, if you want to be listening, then you're going to be figuring out that, hey, those little bitty numbers that are in the context of your passage on your page that have all those other references, those are things to help you understand what you're reading. Those are things to help you listen to the voice of God, because guess what? God and his word will back up the context of what you're reading. It's incredible how God walks us through that. And that leads us to the last question that Jesus asked his disciples in Mark 8. He asked them, and don't you Remember, we kind of already answered that. Don't you remember? Jesus asked them that. He's talking about, don't you remember just a few hours ago feeding the 4,000? Don't you remember a few days ago feeding the 5,000? Don't you remember what the Pharisees were doing while we were doing that? Don't you remember that they just walked up to me and still wanted more because they don't believe what they had just seen? Don't you remember? Guys, one of the most important things for us to understand in having a clarity of God's word is to remember what God has already said and done. Remember who God is, because when you know who God is, then you know that as we study God's word, when you're walking through God's word, his authoritative, inerrant word, he's showing you things that line up with his character. He's showing you things that line up with who he is and what he does and how he acts. That when you see it written black and white and red, you think, man, this is what God is pointing us to. But in order to do so, we have to have a spiritual focus, not a logical focus. As we study and walk through God's word, he's trying to get their minds. Don't you remember? He's trying to get their minds off of the material things and onto the spiritual things. So when he asks them this question, and there in verse 21, when he wraps it up, he says, do you still not understand? He's taking them back to that first question, that first statement. He says, be careful 
Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Remember what I told you. Remember what God has done. And not just what God has done in his word, but remember what God has done in our lives. Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So you understand clarity, it is a heart condition so we don't have hardened hearts. It's a spiritual focus that we're leaning on the spiritual matter, not a uh, intellectual matter or a material focus. He's talking about the power of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So as we look and study and wrap our minds around the clarity of God's Word, understand God has given us everything we need in His Word for it to be clear to us. So I wrote down a couple of things. I got you six things to help us with the clarity of Scripture. We're going to move through these really quick and we'll kind of wrap things up. But how do we believers have clarity when we comes to God's word? Number one, it all starts with spiritual discernment. It all starts with the heart, not the physical heart, our spiritual condition. I give you this, you're not going to have much clarity in studying God's word if you have unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your life. You're not going to be able to have clarity in God's word when you have intentional broken fellowship with the members of his body. That means other believers in Christ. That when you knowingly have something, a harboring of bitterness towards some brother or sister in Christ, you're going to have a hard time understanding clarity of God's word. Because what we do know in God's word, if we're not living that out, why would God want to make something else clear to us when we're not even being obedient with what he has given us? Prayer. Our prayer life. When our prayer life is struggling, when we have wandered away from sitting and talking with God, but more importantly, sitting under him and listening to him in our intimate time of prayer. How in the world are we going to have clarity when it comes to God's word? So it all starts with spiritual discernment. Second thing we already talked about, let God's word speak for itself. Let's hear God in this. Let's don't hear what we think it says or to this new generation. Let's not read God's word for what we feel like it means. God's word is truth. Truth is not a feeling. Truth is not a perception. Truth is truth. And let God's word speak for what it says and let's wrap our lives around it. Y'all do know that's how God works, right? You're not the center of the universe and God is trying to wrap himself and his word around you to validate you. That is not who it is. Y'all know that, right? If you don't, then trust me on this. God is the center. His word is truth and we wrap our lives around it. And when it carries forward, it's carrying us forward. So when we let God speak for himself, then it moves us forward in understanding and having clarity in his word. Number three, remember. Remember what God has said and done. Here's something that we need to remind ourselves of every day. God's word is not difficult to understand because God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God to create this big shadowy mist of like, you'll never see me. (laughs) No. The word was given to us so that we would know God more, not so that we would be even more confused as to who he is. So we got to understand we need to remember what God has already said. He will not contradict himself. He will not confuse us based on who he is. Number four, you want clarity in God's word? Ask him. 
Ask God to show you what his word is trying to lead you to. And I promise you it's going to be something way much bigger than what you thought it was going to say. But just ask God to show you what the scripture says it means. In other words, have yourself a little prayer time, a little quiet time before you even open God's word and move forward in it. And ask him to show you what his word says. After all, it's his word. Let him kind of translate it for you. Number five. Seeking clarity in God's word, study and discuss God's word with other trusted believers. Let me tell you what I mean by trusted believers. Trusted believers are people that you see the word of God active in their life by how they live and the time that you can tell by how they live what they're investing in God's word for it to matter in their life. Spend time in a fellowship of believers and discuss God's word together. Guys, this is why there is so important for us, us being every person in this room, to be connected to a Sunday school class, to be connected to a small group. Because you go in those classrooms with people that love Jesus and you unpack and study God's word together. If you only have, we we talked about this this week, my pastor growing up used to say the most important hour on a Sunday morning is Sunday school. If you only have an hour to give on Sunday, then join a Sunday school class and be there every single week and press into the study of God's word with God's people. Because in doing so, not only will you unpack God's word, but you'll see examples of that when people in your small group or Sunday school class start telling about what God has done in their life in context. It gives us clarity. Number six, kind of the last thing I want to encourage you with, if you're seeking out the clarity of God's word, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't read something and think, well, this is way over my head. Well, this makes no sense at all. I don't even know what that means. Remember, you got two choices. You can quit or you can press in, go a little deeper. Man, I just read these five verses and none of it made sense. Well, read the whole chapter. Or read two or three chapters before those five verses. Or read the three or four chapters after those five verses. Fall in love with God's word. Maybe, maybe some of these things are difficult for us to understand because God is using them to draw you closer to him for for him to show you. Maybe our time in the God's word shouldn't be just a verse or two that we find on an app that gives us our daily Bible reading, but maybe our time in God's word should be intentional pursuing God in his word by spending time in his word and letting him speak for himself. Don't give up because something's hard. Welcome that as invitation to go further to go deeper i remind you that peter was warning his readers don't just look at god's word and jump to conclusions because that's what ignorant and unstable people do and when they do that they distort god's word and then they're building their lives on a false truth god's word church is clear God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. God's word is alive. And he's given us the clarity found in his word because he wants us to know him more so we know his character, so that we know what he's done, so that we can have the confidence that as we trust him and as we live our lives around him, he'll be faithful to lead us and guide us. That it won't always make sense, but we understand who God is in the middle of it. Can I pray for you? God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it's not just some big mystery. Now, God, there are certain parts in it that, yeah, we will understand fully when we are in your presence. 
But God, you've given us your word so that we can know how clear, how clearly stated your call is for, for our lives. God, I love the fact that the clarity of your word points us to the fact that you love us. The fact that you would not sit by while our sin separated us from you and move on. But God, your word clearly shows us that you continued to pursue us even in our sin. Even when we were unworthy to be pursued by you, you never gave up. That God, your love was greater than our sin. And just what we sang earlier, God, your mercy was more than how much I could mess it up. And God, in your word, you clearly show us your plan for reuniting us with you through your son, Jesus Christ. That God, what put him on the cross wasn't uh, some uh, desire for martyrdom or anything. God, what put him on the cross was my sin. What put him on the cross was our sin. Every person who's ever taken a breath, their sin is the reason Jesus went on the cross and died the way he did so that you would be glorified through him because you brought glory to yourself by drawing us to you. But God, that's just not, that's not just what Jesus did just so he could do it. He did it so that we would have an option. We would have a choice of choosing to accept the grace you've given us through Jesus' sacrifice. That in that, Father, our sins are forgiven. And we're fully embraced by a loving, perfect Father. God, today, maybe there's no clarity in Scripture for somebody here because they have never trusted you. They've never believed in you. They've never accepted you, God. So God, today, I pray that even now you would continue to be revealing to them your desire for their life. That God, when we look at Scripture through the eyes of its author, and suddenly it makes sense. And the message is clear. You love us. You desire us. You've given us a way. But we've got to take a step towards you in accepting your offer of forgiveness. God, today, if there's anybody in this room that's struggling with that step. Father, I pray that you would bring them down the aisle, God, that in just a few minutes I would have the privilege or they would go to somebody and give them the privilege of explaining to them the beauty of this invitation, this accepting the offer of grace that God gives. God, there are people in this room that have studied your word too long based on their life circumstances. So, Father, today I pray that you would unveil their eyes to seek you in your word for what you would have to say because your word speaks louder in their circumstances than what they're seeking. God, use the clarity of your authoritative and errant word to give clarity to our lives as we seek to follow you. And meet us where we are as we know you do. And even now, as we respond to you in this invitation time, God, that you would be glorified by our obedience. So your son's name, we pray these things. Amen. I invite you to stand. If there's anything I can pray with you about, I would be glad to. Just come on down. Let's talk about it.
It's who I am. It's who I am.